Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. This is Radio Influence. The future is now. You've seen Chef Brian Duffy on Spike TV's Bar Rescue, NBC's Today Show, and opening bars and restaurants all over the world. Now he's sharing his stories, his friends, and some tips of the trade he's learned along the way. Prepare yourself to get Duffified. This is Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. Good morning, Friday. It's Duffified Live Day. As you all know, uh, we go uh, live on these on Friday. So right now, I am sitting in Indianapolis in a hotel room, okay, uh, kind of coming back off of a couple of fun weeks. So you guys heard our our, our drunk podcast, uh, Loud and Proud. We did over there with Ian Beckles. Um, you heard a super fun amount with Kathy Suzwitz and Bill's fan Monica and Ian Beckles and just kind of the whole crew that was out there. We had an awesome time being out uh, down in Tampa. I went down for training for another property that I do down there. So um, we just had a blast, man. I'll tell you, Ian is an awesome guy sitting around in his house and, you know, his wife's there and the hospitality and Ian cooked and he got a new puppy. And then we all went outside and just got shit faced and talked and laughed. And it's so funny because at the end of the whole interview, and remember that this was my show that Ian completely took over, which is awesome. Awesome. I have no problem with that stuff. It's like having a guest host on with you. So um, to be able to have Ian out there and have him run the show was just beautiful. Uh, Ian is a great guy. Ian, I've got a little gift for you of a couple little things that we discussed on the show that I hope that your sense of humor kind of moves forward and you understand that. So so my boy Ian Ian, uh, Beckles out there, I appreciate it. And everybody was out there with us as well. And then last week, we really had an opportunity to talk to a chef. You know, I mean, um, Akhtar Nawab is is a very accomplished, very, very talented chef. And I really appreciate him taking the time out. He's getting ready to open up another couple of properties and his, uh, his brand and his kind of vision is really growing. And it's great to see a guy who came from the old brigade, you know, I mean, to be able to, in those French kitchens and in those super aggressive, you know, haute cuisine style of kitchens is a big deal, man. I mean, they're, they're, you know, as he said, he's like, I'm standing there at one point and I've got three guys working on one sauce, you know, and it's not nice to see that he really kind of simplified it because that's something that I did a long time ago. I simplified, I had to pull back and you know, hold on. I got to do this real quick. I, I got to stop real quick before I get into the super kind of passionate discussion of the business. And before we get too deep into the show, I just want to let everybody know that we have a new sponsor. Okay. And I know I'm throwing this in and I'm giving you guys a commercial right now, but it's what I do. So I want you guys to do me a favor. And, uh, like I said, before we get too deep, before we start getting too crazy into the show, nogginware.com. It's nogginware.com. N-O-G-G-I-N-W-A-R.com. Go over there right now. You guys know how much I love my hats. Well, nogginware.com does all my hats for me. But one of the cool things that these guys do is they're super kind of novelty with the stuff that they come up with. They've got artists that come in and do things. They have chefs that design hats for them. They've designed all of my hats. They've designed friends' hats of mine. So 
friends of mine's hats, whatever, who gives a shit? You guys get my point. But here's one of the cool things that they do. Every hat has free shipping. Okay. As I talked to Scott the other day and we were discussing a bunch of stuff, he's like, man, I fucking hate shipping. I can't stand it. So Scott, uh, does no shipping. He doesn't charge you for shipping. And there's always a little surprise in each box. When you get a noggin wear hat, there's a little surprise in there. So enjoy that. I'm just going to tell you that you're going to feel a little bit smarter after you get your noggin wear hat. The other cool part about them, the other cool part about them is that they have a hat of the month subscription club. Okay, so you can sign up and they're gonna send you any of the custom hats that they make during that time frame. Some of them are really cool. They have like um, kind of a lifestyle that they do. And then they also have a limited edition and they have series of hats that they do. So that's it. I'm done. That's my commercial. I'm completely in love with nogginwear.com. I think they're awesome. Scott has done hats for me, for the restaurants that I'm involved in. He's done hats for friends. Scott's a great dude. Go take care of it. That's what I have to say about that. Now let's get passionate. Okay. So here's where I am. I uh, have a restaurant in Philadelphia. It is called the Flying Fish Craft House. For those of you who do not know that, um, I think that I'm a big fan of. Everybody's been there and, you know, uh, we have a good time over there. So with that being said, I came home uh, a couple weeks ago and you know, the struggle has been completely real. We are living in a world where, let's think about Philadelphia, where 20 years ago, we had like 900 restaurants in Philadelphia. The service, impeccable. The restaurants, impeccable. Completely different time in our world and in our life for restaurants because, you know, we're talking about the 80s, the 90s. Well, 80s were really 30 years, but we're talking about the late 80s. We're talking about the early 90s where it was this world of just, you know, debauchery and it was, uh, you know, everything was over the top. You know, we're talking about a time when it was becoming onto the millennium at the end of the 90s where all of these restaurants kind of got whacked in the face when it came down to, you know, New Year's Eve and people were charging five and $6,000 for these huge parties that they were going to throw. And they just weren't filling the seats because I think that the, the, uh, the consumer got to a point that they realized, hold on, I'm being taken advantage of now. So we're in a different time. We're in a time, everything's a little bit more, everything's much more casual. People wear jeans and t-shirts out to a fine dining restaurant because, because that's how they dress. You know, our standards have dropped dramatically across the board. So think about Philadelphia 20 years ago, like I said, 900, 950, maybe a thousand restaurants. Okay. Now we've got over 9,000. Okay. So you take a growth of that over a period of time and the staff themselves are going to get watered down. Okay. So here, here's, here comes my world. So we're getting ready to open the craft house. We, we hook up with this dude uh, who I really liked, you know, played the part. His, his references were impeccable. Like I couldn't believe it. He literally, I had one guy who said to me, this is a job that he has been waiting for his whole life. And it's almost as if you've created this restaurant for him. That was one of the references that I spoke to. Okay. So I spend time training with him. I spend time working with him. Super passionate guy. I was really very impressed by him. And then he went to fucking jail the day after we opened. Okay. So he goes to jail. So from there, I'm now stuck. I have a restaurant. I'm traveling. I have no general manager. Okay. My AGM and or my bar manager at this point is my chef's wife. Great background. Super cool chick. Friend of mine as well. She now takes over 
the opening weeks of a restaurant has never really done that before. So struggle, 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 struggle. I hire a new GM. I, I, I reach out to this guy who, by the way, if I, I someday I'm going to talk about the story of the GM who went to jail because it's purely, it's, it's comical. It's comical. The guy gets out of jail, moves into the apartment and then has a heroin overdose. Okay. And then I have another point that I can't really talk about right now, but I really want to because he fucked up even further after that. So this guy ended up being just a piece of shit. I hate to say it. I'm going to say it straightforward. You can get angry at me. You can send me hate mail. I really don't care, but that's how I felt. That's the taste. Yes. The taste that I had in my mouth from this gentleman. So when you tell him super nasally, it's because I'm in a hotel. Blah, the worst. Okay. So now I hire this guy, the wonder, ran a six and a half million dollar property, super organized, unbelievably motivational, background check. He wasn't a drug addict. He never got in trouble. References. Great. Highly recommended to me by a friend of mine. Bri, you're going to love this guy. Super organized, runs great shifts. Going to do the, He's going to move the needle. He's going to drive the needle for you. Because what we're doing in this point is as owners, we are hiring people to oversee our livelihood. Basically, you're putting an ad out there or you're reaching out to people. You're giving somebody the keys to the kingdom. You're giving somebody the code to the safe. You're giving somebody the bank account, the passwords, the signature cards, the checkbooks, the password to QuickBooks, to ScheduleFly, to your POS system. You're trusting them with the bank, the money, and the ability to execute a perfect shift, which is what you're hiring them for. Okay. So I spend a tremendous amount of time thinking about this. And so what happens? So we bring this guy in three weeks into him working for me. I should have gotten rid of him at this point. He calls me and says that, well, there was a whole nother situation. I can't talk about that either. Cause there's a legal part of it, but I'm going to talk about this. He calls me and he's in tears. And he said, now this is a general manager. He's in tears. Dude, am I going to get fired, man? Like, I just need to know if I'm going to get fired. Like, somebody just needs to tell me. And I should have gotten rid of him. Thank you so much, sir. I appreciate your time. I think it's best if we cut ties at this point. Because at that point, I knew that we were going to have problems. And I made a mistake. You guys know that I'm about accountability, okay? That I call a spade a spade. I definitely talk, uh, you know, I, I, I'm tough on standards and I try to be easy on people. But there comes a point when you're just like, are you just, are you just a fucking jackass? Like, are you doing drugs? You know, are you doing blow in the bathroom? Are you shooting up in the hallway? Like, like the decisions that are made are just craziness. So, so I, I continue, I talk him down off the ledge, which was a mistake, and I let him continue to run the shifts. And I do say let because he should have been fired time and time again. Sales started to dwindle, morale dramatically down through the floor, okay? And then I start to get the reviews. The reviews are coming through. 
you know, I watched him in one interaction yell at a guest and I, and I didn't get rid of him because I actually believed in what he was saying with the exception of the yelling. We're, we're empowering somebody to run our business, to take our culture, to take our vision and to execute that and turn it into a viable pickup, physical, tangible, op, uh, you know, opportunity. So I have certain things that I say, and you guys know that I'm a standards guy. So I have a thing that I say in the restaurant, which is that I'm nuts. Okay. I'm crazy because I'm just kind of demanding and stuff like that. So, so it's easier to break it down into things like this. So nuts for me are non-negotiable, unalterable terms, systems, and standards. You've heard me talk about it. It's something that I truly believe in. There was a book years ago that was written that was called Nuts that was about relationships, oddly enough, which was this pure mayhem when it came into a relationship because your mayhem came because you were telling somebody, this is my non-negotiable, unalterable term systems, terms and standards, okay? And you're telling this to your partner, like, I don't like to talk between 4.45 and 5.30, Well, if she talks to you, you need to remind her, yes, I read that book. I read that fucking book. Okay. And where am I now? I'm a single guy in a hotel in Indianapolis. Okay. So let's see how that worked out for me. But relationship wise, you know what? Made a lot of changes. Made a lot of changes in the last bunch of years. So I hire this person and they are now in charge of my whole world, my business. And I'm watching it flounder. I'm watching it fall. And so we're getting towards the end and I'm feverishly interviewing managers. I mean, I'm talking about for two months, I'm interviewing general managers, AGMs. At one point, my AGM gets in a fight with my general manager and she throws her keys on the bar and gets up and walks out the front door, gets out and gets up and just walks out on her shift. And we wrote her off. All right, cool. She's gone. Nothing I can do about that. And I have a world that I live in that people don't quit jobs. They quit people. Okay. And for me, I can totally understand why somebody would quit me because I hold people accountable to what their description of their job is. If your job is to drive sales and you don't drive sales, then we need to have a conversation. So I'm standing in the restaurant one day about four weeks after I hire this guy. And I remember standing next to him and he's got his arms folded like he normally does. Um, He's got a scowl on his face like he normally does. Completely unapproachable. Not a restaurant manager in any way whatsoever. Okay. And I said, so, dude, what what are you going to do for marketing? Like, you know, you're in charge of the restaurant and what is your, what are your plans for marketing? Okay. Cause for me, I believe in six weeks out, I like to start a project about six weeks out. I like to get all the balls together, all the eggs in the basket, all the details taken care of so that we can execute it flawlessly when we get to that point that it comes to execute the party or the event or the day or the feature or for God's sakes, the tapping of a keg. I really don't give a shit. Let's make some, some noise. Let's make some waves and do some cool stuff. And this motherfucker looks at me and goes, man, I don't know anything about marketing. I ran a Mexican restaurant. I know Cinco de Mayo. Okay. And I literally just stopped right there. All right, brother. Cool, man. I can't wait till May. And that was it. So from that point forward, I was kind of done with him. Again, 
sign I should have changed. But at this point, I'm now trying to interview managers to bring managers in. My partner and I are meeting them. I'm on the road. I'm doing phone interviews from hotels, from airports, trying to get the feel of all these different people. And I'm not getting good people. I've gone through recruiters. I've talked to management companies. We're having a horrible time finding a general manager. So fast forward all this time, my sales are dropping, staff is dropping like flies because nobody wants to work for this guy. Most of the reviews, because I try to do exits when people leave, like an exit kind of, hey, what's going on? What did we do? How can we adjust? I try to do that and I've done it with a bunch of people. And it's a really good tool, by the way. When somebody leaves you, have a conversation with them. Okay, and let them know that this is a no holes barred conversation. Like, like, let me know honestly, or have them write a review prior to leaving your business because it's an honest review. You know, a lot of times it's going to be an honest review. I'm sorry, I'm not going to hold your paycheck from you. I'm not going to dock you pay. Like, we're just going to move on. I'm cool with that. You know, you're gonna you don't want to be here in the first place, so you may as well go and be somewhere that you do want to be because I don't want you here if you're going to be miserable. So. So now I fast forward to Cinco, I'm sorry, sorry, Cuatro de Mayo. I've been on the road. Uh, I've been told by my partner that my general manager is uncomfortable with uh, my texting because I'm a type of guy who I, I'm the type of guy that I wake up in the morning and I think my brain moves a million miles a minute. So I take notes. I go through the sales numbers from the night before. Uh, we have conversations about that stuff. And then I send through my notes to a group text that has all the managers involved. Well, he's uncomfortable with that now. It's creating anxiety for him. Okay. So strike number 74 at this point. So, uh, great, Sean, you take care of it. Sean's my partner. You're going to handle it. Now I work through Trello. I've worked through Trello for years, but it's my business. I wanted kind of more of a personal touch with it to work with my staff, to get them to really move the needle, to hold themselves accountable for a success or a failure within the shift, within the restaurant. Okay. And we're talking about reviews. So you know, you, you've got to be accountable for it. You've got to pay attention to these things. People aren't just making shit up. They may fabricate a little bit from the original point of the story where, you know, hey, it took 40 minutes to get our food. Well, in reality, it took 20, but I'm sure it felt like 40. Okay. Or in reality, may it may have taken 40, but most of the time people are exaggerating the amount of time that they wait for stuff. So, so Cuatro de Mayo, I sit down. I look across the table at my general manager with this fucking scowl on his face that I want to smack off of it every time I look at him. And his AGM, this wonderful, wonderful, innocent girl who ran great shifts, ran great shifts. Staff respected her. Staff really liked her. But she couldn't handle the pressure. She couldn't handle the pressure of me walking in and saying, you got to do me a favor and wipe that plate. Hey, this isn't put on the plate the correct way. You've got to change that. Hey, can you do me a favor? There's a busboy behind the bar pouring himself a beer. Okay. Accountability is a really tough thing when you stand there. And I do it every morning. I look in the mirror and I try to hold myself accountable for what it is that I've done the day before, whether it be a way that I parented my children, the way that I've run a business, the way that I didn't, if I didn't take advantage of something the way that I should have, if I didn't reply to somebody the way I hold myself accountable, I take notes from that. I have a journal that I write in of things that I need to take care of during the day. So now we're in the world of Trello. 
Okay, so I put all my notes into Trello, and all the manager has to do is take those notes and either communicate on it. Chef, I'm on this. I've got it covered. Or, hey, chef, I know you wanted us to use Himidor, you know, behind the bar, but I got to deal with uh, Herodura instead. Or we're going to do something with Don Julio, which is, is, just so you know, was a conversation that I had for Cinco de Mayo. I had a huge buy. I had dealt with the company. I dealt with Diageo. I dealt with the rep. I worked the deal all All this motherfucker had to do was close the deal. That's all he had to do. Cuatro de Mayo. Smug look on the guy across from me because he's tired of hearing my voice. Poor girl sitting next to him with red little bloodshot eyes. Seems to me like she might have been crying again that day. Because of accountability. So I said, hey guys, here we go. Tomorrow's the day. Now let me lead in one more. We have yet to post that we're coming up on Cinco de Mayo. We have yet to discuss what it is that we're doing for Cinco de Mayo. So, Cuatro de Mayo. Easty day, man. We're sitting around the table. We're all talking about it. I'm talking. They're getting pissed off. You know what? Here, I, now I remember another day. I'm sorry. My ADD just kicked in. I came back from a crazy trip. I was on the road for like four, five, six weeks. And I walked in and I said to my manager, I want all hands on deck. I want a culture meeting. I'm bringing the entire staff into the restaurant. I bring the whole staff in. I sit everybody down in a classroom style setting. And I start off by saying, I apologize to each and every one of you. And then I go into a little meditation that I do that's about breathing. It's about holding a breath in. And I'll do it for you real quick so you guys get it. I know this is long, but I'm telling you. It's so well worth it, okay? The story is so well worth it. So I bring everybody in and I sit them all down and there's this, there's this Deepak Chopra guided meditation called letting go of pain. And that pain can be anything. It can be pain in your knee, your shoulder, your heart, your brain, whatever it works out to be. You choose that pain that you want to focus on, okay? And a friend of mine had given this to me a while back. And it's something that I I cherish. It wasn't a, a, a physical gift. It was a gift of 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 really of of peace, if you think about it. It was something that I really cherish. So so uh, you know, hey, uh I mean, I'm just gonna say it there. Thank you for that. You know who you are, and I appreciate that. We don't talk anymore, but I appreciate that. So and I know you listen sometimes, so I do appreciate that. So I start everybody off and I say, all right, everybody, I want everybody to take a big deep breath. And so here's how we're gonna do this, okay? Everybody, wherever you are right now, I want you to stop for literally this is gonna take about sixty seconds. If you're driving or you're in the dentist office or something like that, you may not want to, you don't have to close your eyes. But so what we do is we take a deep deep breath and we pull it all the way in through our nose. So we go, you pull it in through your nose, you hold it for a couple seconds, then you release from your mouth and it's a cleansing breath. Super cleansing. If everybody right now were to take a deep breath, you would feel better. Just a big, huge, deep breath. It's almost a feeling of euphoria when you release that breath again. You get that those impurities out of your body. Impurities not in the physical again, maybe in the spiritual or something to that, but but they're impurities that you're getting rid of. So there's a point where David G from the sweet spot of the universe at the universe at the Deepak Chopra Center in Carlsbad, California. That's how he talks and that's how you listen to him. That's how he comes out. And he says, now take this breath and I want you to hold this breath. So we're going to take this big, deep breath in. 
and you're going to hold it. Now hold on to that breath. Do not let go of it. I want you to hold that breath with inside of you. Hold it deep inside of you. Right now, that breath, you have no use for. You've already gotten the oxygen. Now hold on one more second. You've already got the oxygen in. That breath has done its job. Now release. Blow it all out. <sighs> release that which no longer serves you. Release that that you want to get rid of. So I do this with my staff and I say to them, now release the last couple of months. I apologize to you that I failed you as an owner. Okay. I'm going to make this better. I am here for you with this team, my team of Sean, my partner, Dana, my other partner. Okay. My general manager. I, and I go through this, this pro my chef and I look over and there's my chef. He's looking up at me. I look over and there's my AGM and she's kind of looking up at me and she's like, yeah, we're on this. I got you. My whole staff now says, you know what? You're completely fucking nuts, but we get what you're saying and we appreciate that. Okay. And it kind of got a little emotional there for a second. And then I look over and there's my general manager, the leader of this business, the person that I have entrusted, empowered to take the business to the next level. He was texting. He was texting. He didn't really want anything to do with it. You know, he didn't want any part of this at all. So anyway, so now, Cuatro de Mayo. I look across and I see these young faces, one of scowl, one of fear. And I said, so what's our plan for tomorrow? Cinco de Mayo, motherfuckers, big party. What are we doing? And the general manager looks over at me and he looks at his AGM. He said, we're doing jello shots and skinny margaritas. And I said, holy shit. I now own a college bar for fat people. You're doing jello shots and, and skinny margaritas. And we're doing 250 tacos. So I sell tacos for $14, but we're going to discount the fuck out of them. Because you cannot operate a restaurant. And I said, man, what happened to, man, I don't know much about marketing, but I know Cinco de Mayo. And he, I'm not shitting you. He looks over and he said, yeah, well, that was in a Mexican place. So let the hunt begin even further. So now we move forward another couple, another two weeks. Yes, I'm still trying to find a general manager. I cannot leave my partner in the business because of the fact that he is not a restaurant guy and he's learning on the fly. He's a finance guy. Okay. So I look over at the, at the AGM. When I walk in one day, I sit down with her and I have a conversation. She starts to get a little shaky. She starts to get a little uncomfortable. And she said, I just need to let you know that I'm going to be giving my two weeks. And I said, okay, Brittany, I said, I'm really sorry that you're going to do that. Because look, when somebody wants to give their two weeks, there's, this can go two ways. One, they're either bluffing because they want to get more money or something to that effect, or they genuinely want to leave. So there's no reason to try to keep that person. Okay, there's a great article that I've been talking about. And it's an article called Fuck Yes. It's about relationships. Like, why would you ever be in a relationship when you look at somebody and you're like, yeah, he's kind of good to me. Yeah, she's kind of nice to me. Or do you look at that person and go, fuck yes, I want to be with that person. That's the way that we should all be passionate about the people that we're with. So you don't try to keep them. There's really nothing that you can do at that point. They've already made up their mind. They've probably thought about it. This isn't a last, you know, this isn't a rash decision you're making at that point. This is something that is important. So I said, Brittany, sorry, I used the name. 
I really like you and I, and I'm sorry to see you go. And she got a little teary. And I think she thought, well, oh, well, good. And cause she didn't know what direction it was going to go because I am, have now been the enforcer. I've been the person who holds somebody accountable for all of this time. And I said, I'm really sorry to see you go. I said, and one of the things that I said was, I am sorry that I did not provide the leadership for you that you needed to grow and blossom as an employee. Because look, with employees, people don't just come to you because for a job. Some do, but most don't. We, you, need to, you need to engage your employees and educate and, and, and teach them, which is what I try to do. I try to teach, sometimes through sarcasm, but in reality, it's about a smartness or, okay, so why would we serve a plate with – with, with fingerprints all over it. Like our goal is this, we have a wet napkin right up front that we wipe the plates off. Why would we serve that? You know? And there's an accountability that comes with that. So she was a little shocked that I, I didn't really have much more to say. And when I said that I apologize by not providing you with the leadership that you needed, I saw a switch go off in her brain and I realized what was going to happen next was that she thought that I was talking about the general manager who they were friends. So oddly enough, I leave that afternoon. I have an event that I have to go to that night. I'd said, Brittany, hey, I'm sorry. I shake her hand. I wish you the best of luck. And she was super cocky at this point. Okay. So she calls the general manager and lets him know. And if I'm not mistaken, the words were, Duffy's blaming you for all of this, was what it came back to me. Okay. Duffy's blaming you for all this. So the general manager comes in, he sits down with my partner and he's like, fuck this. I'm out of here. I don't want any part of this. The G the AGM looks at the manager and said, I'm not even giving you guys a two week notice. I'm fucking out of here. So oddly enough, in a very roundabout way, we got rid of people very quickly because of the fact of lack of communication, because of an assumption of a statement that was made. But in reality, he was a piece of shit and he should have left anyway. He should have been fired months ago. He was useless. I lost clients. I lost business. I lost revenue because of this individual and because of me. It was my fault. I should have been more on top of it. I should have spent more time during the training phase, but I was under the impression that I was hiring a quality guy. So... Some of you are going to take this as me bitching about somebody who worked for me, which by the way, the funny part is uh, what I said before about people quit people. They don't quit jobs. When, when the GM was talking to my partner and he was like, dude, I can't believe you're doing this. Like, you know, and, and, and he didn't want him there either. But he didn't want to be there for the weekend, and we there was really nothing we could do. I was away. I was going. I was gone. There was nothing I could do, you know? So he, the GM looked at him, and he said, look, I'm, I'm leaving now because I hate Duffy. I hate him. And then, he, and then my partner was like, well, you know, that's kind of a strong – and he's like, no, 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 no. I fucking hate him. So here's where it comes to, hey, GM, I wish you the best of luck in all that you do. You're not good at this job. So my suggestion would be to move on. And when you have sex with employees in the restaurant, there's always a camera. I've got 22 of them. So that's how I'm going to leave that little world for everybody. Okay. So some of you guys can take this as me bitching about an employee or passing the buck onto something else. I did not pass the buck. I should have released him months prior. I should have given him more training. I did not give him the tools that he needed to succeed. Even though he was over his head, I didn't give him the tools that he needed to succeed. So that was a, an employee that I failed with. And I'm sorry about that. Okay. But you told me you could do the fucking job, man. So that's where I'm going to leave it. And from there, 
I'm going to go right into my guest. I'm going to take a crazy little world of passionate talking about the industry and how we entrust people and everything else. And we're going to talk about my buddy, my buddy, my big, tall, redheaded buddy. My buddy's name is Josh Denny. You can catch Josh Denny standing on a stage doing comedy. You can catch him on the Food Network doing ginormous food. Okay, ginormous eats on the Food Network. He is an awesome human being. He's a Philly boy, so there's an automatic connection, even though he lives all the way out there now in Burbank, California. He is now uh, an international celebrity. He's got a show on Food Network that takes him all over the country. They've done two seasons, and they've already done 60 episodes. Okay, now, my big buddy from Philly, I want everybody to meet him. His name's Josh Denny. Go and have some fun, my friends. I got me another Philly guy. I already talked to him about uh, uh, talked to him uh, talked about him a couple minutes ago to you guys before we went into a break, and uh, now we got him on the phone. Um, I don't even know what I can say about this guy that I haven't already said. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, Mister Josh Denny, what's going on, brother? Hey, everybody. So let's uh, let's let's get right into it. What the fuck, dude? Food Network show? Yeah. That's pretty cool, right? Dude, that's so awesome. So how did that, I mean, I remember when it first kind of came around, I think you had just found out or you were in the process of, this has been going on for like two years, so a year and a half, right? Yeah, we first started, the production first reached out to me in November of 2015. Yeah, because I remember you and I had talked briefly. Yeah, yeah, they reached out to me then, and uh, you know, in the beginning, I, I didn't know whether to believe it was real or not because I was just like, "Who just randomly contacts people <laughs> to host a TV show?" Exactly. But but were you were you like were you looking to get into that world or no? It was one of those things that I always kind of wanted to do, but I wouldn't have had the first idea of how to go about getting into that, especially without pitching your own concept. So. That that whole idea was very foreign to me. And, um, you know, they I guess they found me through my podcast and through comedy. And um, I kind of fit the kind of fit the bill of what they were looking for for a host. And then I had to go through like an audition process and um, do a lot of self taping. And then we filmed a, a pitch. We filmed a pitch act and then a sizzle and then a pilot. And then it got picked up uh, to series and started airing back in January. And it, I mean, it's it, the process itself is so daunting. It just keeps going on and on. It feels like like the oh, yeah. initial lead up. You know, you never know what to do. You never know what to say. Do you talk to somebody, especially that first one? And it never I mean, that feeling never ends. I mean, we're smack dab in the middle of season two. We just finished filming season two and um, <laughs> we still have no idea if we're coming back for a third season. Um you know, even yet this year. So it, it's possible and our numbers are holding strong with the rest of the network, but it's one of those things. I, I think part of, I think it's kind of maybe a negotiating tactic always on the <laughs> network side to just sort of keep you in suspense and to give you no sense of security because Absolutely. security, be, security begets confidence. And then that makes people ask for more stuff usually. Right. Well, and I mean, you know, you, 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 Talk about the fact you guys are in the middle of season two. You don't even know, you know, whether you guys are going into season three or not. And what's funny, like, you know, you look at my brothers uh, from Ugly Brother Studios. I mean, two guys, they did a fucking show for Amazon. They get they get awarded, you know, uh, two Emmys. And Amazon's yeah. like, nah, we're good. We're good. Right. 
you know, a fucking Emmy, double Emmy award winning show. And they're like, nah, we're good. Thanks for everything. And they decided not to renew it. Well, I mean, you know, they don't know yet. They, they don't know yet. I mean, that's one of those things, you know, Amazon, they, they, they go back to them and say, hey, look, we did our six episodes. We just got two James Beard nominations. We got five Emmy nominations and we won two. What do you guys want to do? And they're like, yeah, we're thinking about it. Right. We're not sure. So. Yeah, well, they need to save their money for more Mozart in the jungle. Yeah, there's there's some quality <laughs> Netflix. Have you seen? Uh, I don't know if this is just a Netflix show or not, but have you seen Shit's Creek? Uh, I did. I see. I saw a couple episodes of it, but everybody keeps telling me about it, and I watched the first like two episodes. I couldn't really get into it. Really? Yeah. Like, well, so I think what what brought me, and I, I should seriously be like a spokesperson for this show because it seems like it's all I ever talk about. First off, because it's called fucking Shit's Creek. I mean, right. it, it just can't beat that. But so I was watching one of the late night shows and Dan Levy, Gene Levy's son was on promoting the show. And he starts talking about what it's like to like kind of be, you know, Eugene Levy's son. And he's like, one of the things that people don't know is that he's crazy, completely obsessed about his hair. He's like, oh, yeah. so then, so he said, you know, knowing that I wrote an episode where he's laying in bed and water's literally just dripping on his head the whole time. And that was kind of like, you know, it's a, it's that zinger to get back at your pop or whatever you got to do. And he goes right. into this little impression like, Hey dad, you know, you know, he calls him and says, Hey, so I want to talk to you about this and water episode. And he's like, buckets, dad, I'm talking about fucking buckets, just drop it on. So, right. it, it, but it, I mean, if you take, you know, four snotty stuck up billionaires, and the IRS takes everything from them, and they leave you in a town with a mayor as uh, uh, Chris, hey, Chris Elliott. A lot of, a lot of podcast. Oh, sorry. What's up in the dude in the background? <laughs> it's my buddy, Chris. What's up, Chris? Hey, dude in the background. What's going on, brother? Nice. <laughs> so anyway, it's a great show if you get a chance to watch it. I don't know how we got on that tangent. But but so ta- I already talked about it briefly before I, during my introduction about you, but but tell us exactly what you're doing right now. I'm just working on ginormous food. And like I said, we just finished season two and uh, working on some scripted stuff as well. And just trying to get out and do some stand-up gigs. So I'm trying to get back to the East coast and tour some of the cities that we, we did for the show in season one. Right. And uh, yeah, that's about it. Trying to enjoy some downtime and trying to get, uh, I'm, I'm sticking to a ketogenic diet right now, trying to keep a little bit healthy. Yeah, uh, you remember yeah. the first time I did this I, back. I totally in the do. Seven, the last time I saw you, and yeah. uh, it was miserable. We went to uh, to Nikki Lib's place, the Venice Whaler, and I couldn't indulge in any of <laughs> nothing at all, dude. Diets, but I did go back there like two months ago and I just wreck havoc. <laughs> he's a he's he's an amazing chef, dude. He's such a good egg, and he's so totally Philly but he's got that Cali vibe now. It's kind of funny to watch. Yeah. He's like, it's weird. Cause it's like, if you took a Philly guy and then you taught him how to surf and you just like mixed both of those things together. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's very strange. It's a strange combination, but it works. Do you ever do, do you, uh, I, I know you, you're on Instagram a little bit. You're more of a Twitter guy. Have you ever seen any of his like live or his little videos that he does? I watch it. I see his Instagram stories with yeah. the kids all the time in the car, which is funny. And then the next thing you know, he's like cooking in the kitchen. Then he's on a skateboard. Then he's, you know, talking to Tyler Perry. I mean, it's like every yeah, time I turn around, Nick, he's doing something. Yeah, it's super random. Well, I mean, it's right on the Venice boardwalk. So who knows the yeah. kind of people you just see every day walking through. Yeah. Crazy. Well, and that's that 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 night was pretty funny, dude, because I do. I remember you just sitting there and you were like, fuck, I just yeah, if I could just eat. And then you were going out for like. 
Were you going out for steak with your girlfriend or something? Uh, I can't remember. You were like, yeah, we. I know I had to go home and make steak. I that's think. right. I was going home to make it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that and it was, was just good. like, and then I had to drive. It was miserable because I had to drive two hours back home through traffic. And by the time I got back, I was so exhausted. Didn't even want to make the steak. I didn't even want to cook. Yeah. Just give me a Rice Krispie treat. I think I, I think I just made omelets or something easy. <laughs> now, how far outside of L.A. do you live? Uh, I live in Burbank. So it's not that far out of Hollywood, but from Venice at rush hour, like You're two, four. two and a half hours in traffic. I can't stand that stuff. That's that's the main reason why I won't live out there. Although Chicago was pretty bad like a week ago, I was shocked an hour and a half to get to in downtown from uh, from the airport. But so so where so where did you guys go so far on the show? Well, season one, I, you're familiar. We went to Philly, Baltimore. Uh, we went to uh, Richmond and then we went to Nashville, Louisville and Cincinnati. And now in season two, we kicked off with Atlanta. Columbia, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina, Jacksonville, Florida, and then Las Vegas. Phoenix episode aired last Friday, and right. Tucson is coming up this coming Friday. And you, uh, you interviewed my friend uh, uh, Diana Smalls at Lavo. She was oh, the yeah, bronze right. dude. She is a rock star. Yeah, she's awesome. I met her at the bar, like at her bar upstairs at at, uh, at Lavo one night. And we instantaneously became friends. And uh, she texted me and she's like, what do you know about this show? But I was like, oh, no, I was like, no shit. And she was she was pretty funny. So uh, did she mention me or no? I think she was nervous. I don't know. I don't even know if I got to see her while we were there. So this was a weird thing about Lavo because Lavo is owned by a nightclub group. They didn't even want this is a little inside reality TV dirt for you. They didn't even want us interviewing regular customers. They wanted us interviewing employees and nightclub people. Yeah. And they, they cared about how the people looked. They cared about who was what they were saying. Yep. So they kind of gamed up their interview process with us a little bit. And uh, and so they sort of handpicked who they wanted to appear on camera. And then obviously through the editing process, we picked the best ones out of that. Yeah. But um, I mean, they had like, it's, it's a strange thing when you get into some of these really big restaurant companies, because they'll have like a marketing person who's, who's like their corporate marketing person who's there with their chefs the entire day, like policing what they say and yeah. policing yeah. what they talk about. And, it's it, it it is it's kind of funky because it definitely wrecks the vibe for somebody like me who the fun of our show is just coming in and getting to riff with the chefs and with the people and if you take out the randomness of that it it definitely makes it feel a little bit more stiff and a little bit more procedural. I mean, I, I did I did a show for a production company out of Vancouver and I had a similar situation where I had I had one chef who. It seemed like every time he even looked towards the camera, he was automatically looking at the PR guy, automatically yeah. looking at the marketing guy. And, and, and you, you know, I mean, we're, we're pretty similar, I think, in some of our personality and people feel comfortable with us and it automatically draws something out of them that they maybe unleash something they wouldn't normally. And then you put a PR person or a marketing person in front of them, they just shut down. Yeah, oh yeah, hundred percent. That's exactly it. I mean, that's exactly it. And they, they don't know if they have permission to laugh and, the other thing that's kind of uh, the other thing that's kind of a nuisance is, you know, uh, they're very adamant about what goes in and what doesn't go in. And it's just like, look, I, I wish our person would have said at the end of the day, 
you're not going to be in the fucking editing room with us. Yeah. So we're going to make the show we want to make no matter what you give us. Yeah. So just like back off and let us do our thing. Right. Otherwise, why would you have signed up to be like, it's like everybody wants the publicity, but then they want to get behind a camera and tell you how to make your TV show. Right. And it's like, this isn't your world. And not only that, but, but the amount of, I mean, it, it, it's brief. That's the funny part. It's, yeah, it's, it's brief. Set, like it, that whole day of filming of 12 hours gets edited into seven and a half minutes. Exactly. Yeah. And so all the things you meticulous, like 90% of the things you meticulously gave a shit about won't even make it into the episode. Right. Exactly. And, and all you did was like totally make your chef or your on-camera talent nervous to work with us because they're afraid of doing the wrong thing. And it doesn't even matter because it doesn't make it in like, but that's frustrating for me because I see it on the face of my camera guys and my director. And it's like, I don't walk into kitchens and start telling chefs how to change their recipes. So for us to come into your restaurant and for you to say like, well, we don't want you to interview these people. We want to interview these people as if, as if, if we interviewed a real customer and they said something negative, we would put that in the show. It amazes me how many chefs and owners have like messaged me on Facebook and they're like, Hey man, is this going to be good for us? It's like, nah, dude, we, we, we are going to make you make look like shit. Completely make you guys look terrible as much yeah. as possible. That's what we're trying to do. Dude, I like, still, it's not, it's not like bar rescue. And by the way, in a lot of those situations, you guys would ne- never really make them look like shit. All you would do is show what the they had. They did that were real, that were shitty. Right. And they're like, oh, they edited that to make us look bad. Like, <laughs> yeah, that black mold on your walls just suddenly... Time and plant mold in your fucking cellar? <laughs> it, dude, I still have people that contact me and say, hey, you know, do or, you know, am I going to look like shit if I'm on the show? And I'm like, yes, you are. Yeah. 100% you're going to look like shit. If, if That's you- part of the reason why they cast you, too. Like, if you were a great restaurant with great operations, great people... They're not going to cast you because that's not their show. Right. On the flip side of that, we will definitely cast you because that is our show. And I've said many times to our, our team, like, I don't want I don't want us recommending people to restaurants that are going to get them sick or disappoint them with bad service and bad food. Yeah. It's I, I mean, mean, that's that's a death nail for a travelogue food show like ours. Yeah. And and what's funny is the way that that I mean, even rescue. Well, see, you guys are lighthearted. That's the whole concept of yours. You know, you right. guys are the, f- and, and in reality, it's the focus of the food. That's why I'm there. It's not called ginormous personality. It's ginormous food. Right. Exactly. You know, like I want you to show me what it is that you do. And, 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 and you know, I mean, just the, the, the basic premise of the show is for fun. Yeah, that's a hundred percent what it is. And it's not, you know, it's not like the weight of, of, of like a bar rescue where you're going in trying to save a failing business or, you know, anything like that. Now, what out of, so out of all the cities, and again, I mean, other than Philly, because we know your love for Philly, what was your favorite city? Not even your favorite restaurant, because because I mean, what's your, what was your favorite city out of the ones you visited? Louisville, for sure. Although I will I say love in Louisville, this dude. new season, we just left uh, we just left Baton Rouge and New Orleans and Mobile on this last block. And I got to say, man, New Orleans and Baton Rouge were pretty awesome, too. Yeah. Have you ever been in New Orleans? Never before. Really? Yeah. Yeah, it was, uh, it was really cool. And the food was great. I mean, but in Baton Rouge, like one of the judges I have for how good a food city is, is what are the meals like that we don't have on camera? Right. And Louisville and Baton Rouge probably had some of the most surprising food that we ate just, you know, in our day to day travels. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it's just amazing down there. And, and it's funny because I sent you during that text and we were talking the other day. I was like, dude, anytime you're going to go to a city. And, and this is the dumbest thing to say because you have your own shit going on. It's not like you're going, oh, I'm going to, 
you know, Cincinnati, which by the way is an awesome town. Yeah. Uh, uh, where, what, what place did you do in Cincinnati? We did Blue Ash Chili. We did Mecklenburg Gardens and we did, oh man, I'm drawing a blank on the third place. Cause, cause we did that with Nashville and Louisville. So Blue Ash Chili, Mecklenburg Gardens. Um, man, what was the other place? Now I got to look there's, it up. I, dude, there's, and the funny part is Cincinnati has an amazing restaurant scene. I don't yes. know how far out you guys got. I mean, I, now here's the thing. People say to me all oh, the time. We actually went out to, that's right. The, the, that's a kind of a trick question of where else we went in Cincinnati because the third restaurant in the Cincinnati episode was actually in Covington, Kentucky right. at a little burger shack called Bard's. That was the third place. Okay. And, uh, and dude, they make like amazing burgers. Really good. Just kind of, just kind of like your classic burger stand, greasy spoon burgers, but yeah. they're really, really good. Now, did you go out in Cincinnati? Not at all, because yeah. it was at the end of a run and we were all just wiped out. Yeah. And since he's a great town, I mean, next time you get down there, my buddies, I, I, I did three, four restaurants in Cincinnati. So oh, wow. I, yeah, I did a bunch. I have clients. They're uh, the 4EG guys. It's called 4 Entertainment Group. And they're four buddies from college. And they have like 19 bars between Chicago and northern Kentucky. But they've got one called Keystone, which is just a sick mac and cheese place, dude. They sell like 500 Macs on a Monday. Oh, wow. That's yeah. nuts. And they do a great job. I mean, there's and, and it's not like four or five different Macs. It's like 10, 15 Macs. And we actually built one over by University of Kentucky or of uh, University of Cincinnati that um, that we put a we put a, a 16 burner stove in, you know, with like a mac and cheese station on it because they just crush oh, wow. it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. It's a fun. So stove. many. Yeah. But um, all right. So uh, so you're saying Baton Rouge, Louisiana and then uh, Louisville. What was uh, what was what was Louisville like? The last time I was down in Louisville was like thirteen years ago, fourteen years. Yeah, ago. I mean Louisville was great. We went to this like small local pizza chain there called Boomba's, and it was like one of the best. Yeah. It was one of the best pizzas I ever had. It was yeah. like this between pan and hand tossed, and it was just like amazing sauce, amazing ingredients. It was almost like a, a take on Pizzeria Uno. If you've ever been to one of those chains, oh, I think yeah. a lot of them are out of business now. But they are kind of—it's kind of like that. But the food was incredible. I mean, that was the first night I was in town. Then the uh, the three restaurants we did there: the Comeback Inn, which is like a Chicago bar, and this thing's like right out of the '80s. Um, and then we also did um, a place called Muscle and Burger Bar. Uh, really, really great place. They make a mussels and sofrito sauce, which is one of the best dishes <laughs> I've ever. Had life and um and then the third one in louisville was oh this is oh we got come back in the muscle and burger bar and then we did gary's on spring which is kind of like a little bit of an elevated thing it's like a a little bit more fine dining but they do a a huge hot brown there that they serve parties for the kentucky derby nice. so we went there for that and that chef was a really cool guy a dude named um harold baker nice a really good chef. But um, we also ate like, so the funniest thing is we were filming at this place called uh, Come Back In. And at the other end of the block, there's a little under underground burger bar called Hammerheads. And I swear it was the best burger I've ever had in my life. Me and our other camera guy, Rob, couldn't decide if we wanted elk or venison. So we both got one and we split them. And they were the best two burgers I've ever had in my entire life. Really? that good yeah i mean wow. amazing and it's like a little shithole it looks like their menus are like printed on neon 
paper and laminated, <laughs> and, you know, like, and the bar t- the, the server's just like got the shittiest attitude. Yeah. And she's like in the war, she's like, y'all are the last table tonight. And, and it just seems like it's going to be this awful greasy carton, you know, paper basket place. And the next thing you know, like a cutting board comes out with an amazing looking burger and a knife stuck in it. And it is like, Oh shit. Like these guys really know how to do burgers. Mm, nice. And nice. it was really, really good. Yeah. You're you- drinking like craft beers out of a can, you know, it's just, it's like, the crust. It's a crust like craft burgers and redneck bar. Like it's, it's <laughs> like the perfect fusion. Dude, we've got a place here in, uh, in Philly that is just, um, it's actually in the suburbs, so it's up in Bryn Mawr, and oh, okay. it, it's called Roach and O'Brien's. So, yeah. R, uh, like, R-O-A-C-H-E, like, classic Irish little shitty dive bar. They still smoke in there. The bacon oh, yeah. is still sitting out on the counter, you know, in the kitchen while you're playing, playing golden tea with a cigarette in your hand. And you're reaching in and grabbing bacon throughout the night, but they open up at 7 a.m. and they serve an awesome burger. And it's it's a shitty little burger, but they just use good stuff. They serve it on like a white paper plate. They put a napkin over top of it when they hand it to you, <laughs> like full fledged, you know. What I mean, and then you get fries, and they're like crinkle cut fries. But it is it's that greasy kind of shitty place. And it's funny because those are the places that I love. I mean, that's oh, my yeah. that's my go to with the amount of travel that I do. Well, I don't know if you saw on Instagram, but like I started doing keto again today. And my my last supper last night before I went to bed was like six microwavable white masks <laughs> and like chips and French onion dip. And that was it. And I was done. I'll, I'll tell you what, man, that, I, that the, that's the that's yeah. I did the same thing when I started my whole little world of uh, of, of losing weight again. All right, guys, you all know how much I love hats, how much I wear them, how much I give them away, how much I kind of gift them out to people. It's just one of the things that I do. And I have dealt with hat companies all over. I've dealt with people that want to design hats for me. I've dealt with companies that are already out there that just want to give me hats. But I'll tell you what, one of the coolest things that I've done is be able to get involved with a guy named Scott. And Scott owns a company called Nogginware. So if you get a chance right now while you're listening to this, go to nogginware.com, check it out, go in, look at some of the hats, take a look at some of the programs that they have. Okay. They've got a one month uh, subscription. They've got a three month, they've got a six month subscription and they range in price. So it's like $39 all the way up to $129. Okay. That you can get hats. They've got a couple different hats in there. They've got signature series, which are artists. They've got my hats in there. And some of the cool part is for these signature hats, they're limited edition. So you could be like one of a hundred or one of 300 that gets a hat and then it's never made again. So go over to nogginware.com tell the boys that i sent you and uh it's just kind of that simple get something really cool on your head man liz rock adios nogginware.com how are you uh how how did you do through the seasons um with i mean were you fluctuating a lot i mean you're not well i I told you the reason i was dieting when i saw you around christmas time was because season one i had put on like 16 pounds uh just like adjusting to that schedule and that pace. And the thing people don't realize is you're eating all the stuff you see on camera, but you're eating it all from like seven in the morning until (laughs) noon. So like, if you don't think your body can handle deep fried food, try starting your day with it. And one of the things I learned on this very last block was there were a lot of days where I would eat all this stuff in the morning and then never eat again for the rest of the day, which I thought was smart. 
And then I found that if I just had like a light salad or a light snack at the end of the night, it made a huge difference in terms of my overall digestion and my body holding on to food or releasing it or, you know, <laughs> processing things properly. So, um, this time around, I actually lost like six pounds, uh, while we were out these last two weeks. Nice. And, and, uh, you know, just from a combination of extra staying, exercising while on the road and, um, and not going, you know, hog wild, so to speak with everything. And, and this time we didn't really have, a lot of dishes where it was even like feasible for me to eat beyond what I should have eaten. Right. You know, like we did, we did a couple of big burgers and then we did some other ones, but it's kind of to the point now where we have it down to such a science of what we need to make to not waste food that like, I'll take one of these ginormous dishes and I get my first bite for camera. And then we know how much the rest of it is that we need to use to share with people. Right. And if I eat beyond what I'm allowed, <laughs> somebody doesn't eat shares. So <laughs> my culinary producer will be like, Hey, that's, that's it. Stop, Stop. taking bites. That's Stop all you can have. That's yeah. well, and dude, I'm, so I'm looking, I'm looking at your picture, man. I'm looking at it right here with six. So it says, uh, which means uh, about 60 days of ketogenic diet and exercise. This was my final guilty pleasure. Six white castle burgers, chips and French <laughs> onion dip. You don't get any better than that, man. I yeah, fucking, where'd like you a, find a where's a white like castle a total, in LA? I, I'm from a grocery store. Oh, you went all out. You yeah, planned yeah. that. Was that just like a walk through the freezer aisle, or were you like, I want fucking? Yeah, it was. No, well, what happened was like we weren't going to do anything like that because we ate. I can't remember what we ate for lunch yesterday, and then um, we went grocery shopping like three different places yesterday to get everything we need for the week to be able to be juicing and you know all the stuff we want to do <laughs> and. uh we were like, Hey, we should do one last like late night cheat meal. My girlfriend just stopped at a yard house, um, in our neighborhood because she was like, I, I want to get this pasta that they have. She's like, I'm going to go nuts with pasta. And I'd eaten like pizza and ice cream and everything the previous couple nights. And then, uh, I w we were going through the grocery store and I just happened to like walk by a white castle box. And I was like, that's it. That's going to be my last meal. And I knew the one, the grocery store across the street from our house had the jalapeno cheeseburgers and a six pack. Right. So I was like, I'm getting that whole thing. And I mean that whole thing for dinner. But now where, and, at what, at what point does your inner fat guy just go and fucking chips and sour cream and French onion dip? Yeah. Well, we had the, we had the chips from the night before that we didn't eat. And I was like, we better eat all these or else we're going to eat them into the diet. And then I had, I was like, all right, so let me get a new French onion dip for those. Cause we were out of dip. <laughs> So and is it, it like, was, was it like the Lay's in the oh, can yeah, flip the, the pop jar. top? Yeah, oh, you want to it have the jar or is it the flip top? No, it's the jar. With the pull yeah, tab. Jar. Yeah, my, my usual go-to dip is the, uh, the Frito-Lay jalapeno cheddar. That's the one. Oh, man. Do you heat it up or do you? Metal can tear <laughs> and you want to lick the cheese off the oh, top. You without cutting your tongue? Rip your tongue open. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> that's Dude, that's total that guy stuff. Oh, that's so bad. I used to have, uh, uh, I live in Ardmore, and even when, when I was growing up and I was 21, 22, 23, we used to full on order like a whole pizza from Ardmore oh, yeah. Pizza. And I think they actually brush like fat on the dough when they're done. And then oh, I'd be yeah. like, and uh, a bag of, sure. a bag of uh, Frito Lay, whatever. And then the dip. And they'd be like, oh, we get a free soda with that as well. So, I mean, it was like full fledged fat guy across the board. At that yeah, point. That I mean, and, there, and it, it's funny, too, because like we're jumping in this thing and I want to do it full like all the way for 60 days, because when I saw you, I had done it for about two weeks straight. And I lost six. I lost 16 pounds 
and about 14 days by not doing it uh, or by not eating any carbs or any sugar. And, uh, and it's tough, but if you can do it, man, the, like, especially with the way I normally eat, right. The, the weight just falls off entirely. And yeah. so, um, it's tough, but, uh, it's definitely worth it. Cause it yields, it yields really great results. Yeah. It's fat. I did a, I did a thing called the 40 day reset, which is, I mean, dude, I that was, t- that was tough, man. That was a whole bunch of drops and all that stuff. And then I was eating, 500 to 750 calories a day so i mean and that's and that's i mean you're you're exhausted you know i mean you're exhausted but i'll tell you what dude i lost 53 pounds i lost 42 in 40 days yeah that's massive and felt like a fucking rock star now i put 22 back on so i'll go back on in the next couple of weeks so yeah i was i was 296 dude yeah i know i mean and i'm five nine i know that's that's big yeah, that's fucking well, big. I hit I hit 280 in the fall uh, for the first time in like probably in 11 years because the last time I was that big and I'm six feet, but the last time I was that big was when like the first year I was working this corporate job where I was traveling everywhere and I had an unlimited spending account and it was just <laughs> like, hey, do you guys want to go to Maggiano's and just order all of it? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Can I get a steak with the asparagus, the cream, spinach, was, and I the mushrooms? Eating, like, and I had Chicago in my territory. So it was like, I was literally like when I would go down there, I'd probably put 10 pounds on in a week of traveling. And all my work was centered around where we were going to eat. Like, all right, we're going to go to this store. Where's that store? It's uh, out in uh, Naperville. Oh, yeah. They got a Portillo's on this side. <laughs> yeah. that. And we're gonna go to, you know what I mean? It was just that like guy we, directions. We yeah, we had it all mapped out. And I would get I'm not shitting you. When I would go to Portillo's, I would get a beef with the cheese right so i would get a full italian beef and because i love chicago hot dogs i would get two of those yep. and a large fry and i would and i always would say like i'm gonna eat the hot dogs back at the hotel right nothing left the restaurant no. like nothing no i've uh i remember when i was really kind of hitting it and i was heavy when i was when i was two probably 280 and i was i would be in chicago and i would get you know i'd have to i'm in chicago i gotta get a hot dog so I'd, yeah. I'd go get a hot dog in the airport. And then on the way to the hotel, I'd be like, oh, well, fuck it. I got to get an Italian beef. You know, you got to get yeah. an Italian beef while you're here. <laughs> and then you're like, ah, yeah, it's two o'clock in the morning. Now I'm going to have some pizza. Now, I mean, it was, right. you know, and then I'm boozing with like, you know, with the boys from Bar Rescue and I'm drinking bourbon and whiskey, right. you know, and just loaded with sugar shit. That was it was bad, man. That was well, a scary time. I have. That's one benefit I have of not drinking. But part of the reason why I think the keto thing will be easier this time is because I've been I mean, we've done 60 restaurants on ginormous food, and I've literally been able to pick the brains of some of the best, most creative chefs in the country. You've already done 60, 60 places, 60. We do three per. We've done 20 episodes. And uh, with that number of restaurants, like I've learned so many things. So now it's like I want to get back in the kitchen and make some of this shit. Yeah. And so, you know, I have like swordfish. I'm going to do a blackened swordfish for dinner tonight with a uh, with a roasted garlic uh, cauliflower mash. Nice. And then, uh, you know, and then tomorrow I think we're going to do tilapia. And then I got some ribeye picked out for Wednesday. So, you know, it's. Uh, Dude, you got to get get a sous vide. I know you keep telling me about this. I'm telling you, I'm telling you. And especially if you're going to, if you're going to be doing steaks and proteins, you know, I mean, tonight for me, I, I, uh, my girls love barbecue. So I, I literally just pop some, some chicken, chicken legs in 
sous vide bag. I season them up. I put some barbecue in. I just drop it oh, in. Is that, can you do now? Can you do like fast pulled chicken? Is that like is this yeah. same oh, as yeah, sort yeah. Of like smoking it? Yeah. Well, I mean, so the process of sous vide is simple. It's an immersion circulator. So it's it's like think about a fish tank. When 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 it sucks when the sucks the water up in through the filter, it blows it back out, which circulates the water all the way through, and then the thermometer is in that glass tube, and it heats the temp. It takes raises the temperature up. So this way, right. it's it's the most precise method. So for tonight, I did 159 degrees on you know 20 chicken legs for an hour and a half. Well, I mean, what you're done. saying is because I do a, I reverse sear all of my steak. Okay. So I I do oven first, and then I let it swell and rest and then i do a final sear and serve it hot yes what you're saying is if you replace the sous vide you can or replace the oven process yep with doing a sous vide you 100 can, you can exactly hit the temp so i do i i do a very simple i do maldon sea salt i do smokes uh smoke black pepper see you dude be careful back there <laughs> good chatting <laughs> so i do uh uh smoked my i do smoked salt or smoked pepper maldon sea salt I do a little bit of Kerrygold butter. I do extra virgin olive oil and I sear my steak first. So I do like a minute to a minute and a half tops on either side, depending on the thickness, but super, super hot. And then I automatically take it out. I pop it into either a sous vide bag, be it vacuum seal, or you can do just kind of the cheaper method, which is like the Ziploc freezer bags that you can actually reuse. But they, if you push them down further, it, it, it expunges all the air out of it. So, um, so I'll do that and then I'll do 119 degrees for an hour. And I find that that gives me like a perfect steak now. And then I pull it out and I just let it sit and rest uh, for yeah, probably so. 45 minutes to an hour. Let all the juices suck everything back up, let it sit. And then I get a cast iron pan. I do again. again. Yeah, but I never stop. I, it never, I, I let it sit for that initial minute in the pan with the butter and olive oil. And then, yeah. and then I flip it, do the same thing, and then I spin it through the inside of the pan. But I put crushed garlic. I never do, um, like, I, I won't chop it up. I just do, like, a really, really fine kind of crush on a board. Um, rosemary and thyme, and I just baste the shit out of it. And it's yeah. perfect every single time. That's, like, my, that's my prison meal. I would have to cook it, though. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, there's, and there's an art to that steak, and there's an art to the form of doing that. And, and you can even... You know, you can even take a couple different steaks or a couple different cuts. Now, do you got do you switch your proteins up every day? Not necessarily. I mean, it's really just kind of what we're in the mood for. But, yeah, it'll be it'll be like fish today, fish tomorrow, beef Wednesday. And then we'll do I think we're going to do pork Thursday night and uh, or maybe we'll do the pork tomorrow. One of the things that I, I totally stole that I make at home now was from this place in Atlanta that David Cross is a, a partner in called bone lick barbecue. Mm-hmm. And if you watch our land episode, one of the favorites we make on camera are these pork rind nachos. And literally while we were making them, I was like, Oh, if you use pork rinds, these are carb free. These are completely <laughs> carb free and sugar free. Straight so fat. I was, I was just, yeah, well fat when you're doing keto fats are fine. Right. So I was just like, Oh, I'm fucking making these. So, you know, like, I have a small apartment kitchen. I'm not smoking pork in my, you know, <laughs> pork shoulder for 12 hours in my oven. But, uh, but I, you know, you can get like the, the, the pre-done stuff in the vacuum bag or whatever. Right. Just bring that up to temp, just drizzle it over some nachos. You throw a little bit of uh, it's cheese on there, you melt them off. You get your sour cream, your jalapeno. I use Serrano peppers now and then uh, some other stuff, but it's like, 
that's like that meal takes 10 minutes. Yeah. It's, it's one of the healthiest things. If you're doing a keto, no carb, no sugar thing, it's one of the healthiest things you can eat that you can make in your microwave in 10 minutes. Yeah. But, but, but how, how fucking horrible do you feel after that? All that fat. I feel fine. <laughs> See, the, the science behind doing a ketogenic diet is you're essentially depleting your body of glycogen stores um, and, t- and retraining your body to go, when we are hungry, we're going to burn fat ketones instead of glycogen. Right. So if you just consistently feed your body fat, and obviously, you know, it's better to get good fats than bad fats, you know, that all of the saturated fat in that dish is not necessarily great. Um, but you know, if you're getting, if it's, it's far better than how your body reacts to, if you were to eat a slice of pizza. So that whole plate of nachos is less damaging to your body. If you're already an overweight person, than that, then, uh, one slice of pizza, like one slice of pizza where there's sugar in the sauce, yeah. sugar in the dough. Sugar, you know, sugar in the preserved meats or whatever else. I mean, that's the shit that really fucks your body up. And sure. so you can have all the salt and all the fat you want as long as your body's in a state of ketosis where you're burning that stuff and you're burning the fat off. And that's sort of a great way of getting that guilty pleasure out without breaking the diet. So you're right. like, okay, this is a night where I'm tired. I don't want to spend an hour and a half cooking this elaborate meal because in an apartment and by yourself, it's going to take me, you know, to roast off garlic, to boil my cauliflower, everything else. We're looking at about 45 minutes of prep sure. time to do the cauliflower mash. My steak takes 30 minutes to pre-cook and then I, the sear and everything else, you're looking at about an hour there. So you're looking at about 90 minutes dinner prep time all together. And it's and, 8 o'clock, uh, just so you know. It's 8 o'clock for him right now. Right, but. like I'm an hour behind <laughs> when I would start that. So yeah. All because of this uh, little show. What's that? All because of this little show. No, no, no. I mean, we, we, <laughs> ate, we ate breakfast late today, too. So I, I do want... Just the simple, like, spinach, you know, spinach scramble with cheese and a little bit of bacon on the side, and that's it, so... Yeah. You know, the real thing with that is your cholesterol. Now, this is not a diet you can do if you're not going to work out because, you know, your cholesterol and stuff's going to go through the roof. But, um, you know, if you're maintaining a decent amount of time in the gym and then you're also doing this, you know, your body's going to start burning those. And and there's there are some pretty accredited nutrition authors who say that even at that rate, like it's better for you to have a high level of fat in a diet and saturated fat in a diet than it is to have any sugar. And where a lot of vegans go wrong is they load up on fruit and then they're just, they're, they're literally going full diabetic because they're taking 600 grams of sugar in through fruit and, uh, and legumes and stuff like that. It's, I mean, the sugars are what, the sugars are what kill me. I mean, you know, I mean, but I also drink. So, you know, I mean, I don't drink when I'm when I'm home, but when I'm on the road, I'm no stranger. I mean, especially on the road. It's a whole different world. Oh, yeah. But I mean, you know, and that's the killer. That's the stuff that kills me is the sugar. And all I drink is goose and soda. You know, it's yeah. not like I'm out there throwing back Manhattans and, you know, old fashions. I mean, I yeah. love goose and soda. It's one of the things that I drink. I do it with olives. That's kind of what I drink. I don't eat when I go if I go out like boozing. Um, yeah, because I feel like shit. It ruins my night for me. But um, it's I mean, the sugars are just deadly. I mean, I see it on myself. I can look awesome after eating, uh, you know, protein for a couple of days. I'll have a chocolate bar or I'll throw something in my body with sugar in it. And and, and I just blow, I blow up the next day. Well, one of the things I want to try to do that I got, I got the stuff to make is uh, you can apparently make ketogenic 
peanut butter cups, which have like one gram of carbohydrate per what's cup. The, what's the, what are they, what's it pulling? I mean, what's the chocolate? You're, you're, it's on, you're using unsweetened chocolate and then you're right. using stevia as the replacement. Okay. All right. Yeah. So you're using stevia and then you're using, you know, organic peanut butter with no added sugar. Yeah. So that's essentially where you're getting your carbs from or just the, you know, in the honey. Cause I think most of that stuff's sweetened with agave or honey. Yeah. And then, uh, you know, you got a little bit of sugar there, but it's nowhere near like what one. So it's funny. You can make a peanut butter cup. That's like that thick. And, uh, it's nowhere near the sugar of a Reese's that's like that. Yeah. It's fucking crazy. It's yeah. crazy that we're still allowed to make shit like that. Well, did you, did you hear that they're, they're in the process of changing the name of high fructose corn syrup to naturally sweetened? But yeah, that sounds horrific. Yeah. And that's what they're doing is they're changing the name of it. And that's how a lot of people are starting to get away with this because there's no, there is no real kind of, of monitoring of the word natural. You know, organic is, an, is something that can be used, but certified organic is a certification. And there's three bodies that do that certification. But natural right. is just that's a marketing ploy. You know, well, that's that. a great example. And, you know, like perfect, perfect example is soda. You know, Diet, Diet Pepsi has this big thing on their label now that says now aspartame free. Right. And it's just like, yeah, but what about the high fructose corn syrup exactly. that is the base of your drink? Like that's that's the problem. Yeah. Well, what's so, you know, people get into these health buzzes where they, they hear these buzzwords like, oh, aspartame increases your appetite. Well, any artificial sweetener, here's how it works. Any artificial sweetener tells your pancreas that sugar's coming, food is coming. So your pancreas starts operating as if it's time to process sugar. And when no sugar comes or no food comes, it's a problem. Yeah. And so it really fucks with your blood sugar. So the problem is you can have all the aspartame or stevia or anything you want, as long as you're having it with food where people went wrong and where the aspartame became a problem was they would just be these people that would drink. I say these like it wasn't me when I was 21. <laughs> you just you go through a 12 pack of Diet Pepsi or Diet Coke cans. And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I want to fucking, I want two whole pizzas. Yeah. And it's because your pancreas is going like, Dude, where the fuck's food, my food? The food, where's the food? And yeah. so that that's artificial sweetener. It's, it's not like your body just doesn't detect the shit you put in it. You put artificial sweetener in your pancreas is going to go, okay, we're ready for food now. Yeah. And if there isn't any, you're going to get hungry. It's going to make you hungry. So yeah. aspartame itself doesn't make you hungry. It's just it's triggering a part of your biology. And if you don't know how to react to it, it's fine. So if I have Diet Coke, I usually do it when I'm eating. Yeah. And if I'm not eating and I need caffeine, then I'll drink an iced tea or something else with like a diet iced tea that has a different sweetener in it or whatever. See, I don't do soda at all. I've, I mean, for years, I haven't touched soda. Yeah. That stuff just to me, I, I don't know. I just don't get it. I, I mean, my mother has, has, has been drinking Diet Coke. My sister's been drinking Diet Coke for 40 years. Yeah. You know, with all the fake shit that's in there, I always say it's going to be great when we open up, we're able to, you know, when everybody passes away and you guys are still standing up because of all the shit, the preservative and all that crap that's going into it. So, well, did you, it's just about the text, the the carbonation and the ability to, you know, I, I, I use it primarily as a palate cleanser when I'm eating, because you can take like one swig of that and uh, you're good to go. And then, you know, you, you can switch foods or whatever. It's just, it's really more about the functionality it serves while eating. And, that's something that you kind of get addicted to and don't even realize it. You're just like, oh, I've, I'm dependent on this texture in my mouth yeah. in between like moving from <laughs> one food to another on my plate. And you don't even realize it until you yeah. don't have it. 
I'm that way with water, dude. I, I mean, you, I don't know if you're watching. I'm, I'm literally just, I'm, you know, every time after I talk, I'm taking a sip of water. I've got one here too. Yeah. So did you, now let me ask you, have you, did you hear about, uh, just, I think I just heard it today that Canada has actually just, uh, bypassed us as the world's largest pork producing area. No, and that's the, shocking though. And the thing is, is, and one of the reasons why is because China is buying so much of their pork because we, they, they won't allow the chemicals that we put into our food to be yeah. sold there. China doesn't want our shit. That's right. scary. But we continue. I was I was having a conversation with somebody the other day. I well, said, they are they are trying to flush out all that nuclear aftermath from exactly. our excursions about Whoops. seventy years ago. Yeah, yeah. sorry guys. Yeah. I wouldn't want pork from the people who poison generations of my culture either. Right, <laughs> right, exactly. Um, it is. Uh, it, it, it. I mean, I just kind of find it odd. But I was having a conversation about this a couple weeks ago where somebody had said. Uh, we were talking about chicken McNuggets and we we're going through the whole process with, you know, that where, how, how, how can it be? At what point do you feel like, Oh, Hey, I can get 10 chicken nuggets for 99 cents. Like, what is that product that we are utilizing? And it's the same thing happened the other night. My sister came home and she's like, Hey, I got ribs today. I got, they were, they were buy one, get two free. And I'm like, and you didn't, you didn't question that process. Yeah of buy two, get buy one, get two free. Like there's gotta be something wrong with that. You know, what expiration date or whatever it is. And I don't know, I, I can get on the political end of, of food and the process of it all day. It drives me crazy, but I don't know. We should talk about funny shit. Well, it's funny though, because <laughs> like my, my show becomes a, a huge target for that kind of shit. Like people just, and, and people have such an echo chamber reaction to things. They see our, they see the size of the dishes on our show. And they start drawing these massive conclusions. They either assume I'm eating the whole thing, which right. is wasteful. That doesn't happen on the show. Or they think because I only take like a couple bites that we just take what's left and throw it in the trash immediately. Right. And that's wasteful. The reality is we're very conscious of that on the show. But what people don't understand is the food waste in this country that happens by the time food gets from the farmer to your grocery store. Farm that's the real problem. That. That's the real problem. I mean, that's you look at the amount of food waste and, and vegans want to get pissed about animal slaughtering and, and inhumane things like that. Where's my All of that happens before the point of sale. Yep. All of those real issues are before the before it's even distributed. Yeah. So your issue is with factory farming in this country, not with restaurants, not with food shows, not with things like that. If you want if you want to affect change in that, then start working on legislation for how things are grown and raised. In this country, don't focus on the end user or who's eating it or who's supplying it. Right. And the only reason McDonald's sells a billion nuggets a year at 99 cents a bucket is because that's the fucking demand for them. Exactly. So to your point, they're not going to sell them for that if people stop eating them at that rate. Right. Um, it's the same that goes along with produce. I mean, uh, you know, we are the ones who are determining what it is that we purchase. When you right. walk up to that, when you walk up to that beautiful display of apples and you, t you pick up every single apple, you know, there's 40 people that have just touched that apple, pressed it, dented it, pushed it on, on by its side. And then we get to the point that now we can't sell that because 40 people touched it. Nobody liked the way that it looked. And it's all about the appearance of the food. They're getting tomatoes that are that are not even ripe. The average right. human being that's in this country has probably never had a ripened tomato, like a good tomato. Because what do you do when you touch a tomato? If it's too fucking soft, you put it back. Right. You're grabbing the firmer of the tomato because one, I don't want it to go bad too soon. 
you and know, you also don't want it to fall apart when you slice slices out right. of it. Exactly. But in reality, that's the sugar that's coming through, and that's what makes that tomato delicious, is that right. ripe tomato that is soft. But instead, we're popping them into a truck, and we're pumping them full of gas so that by the time it gets to, you know, by the time it gets to Bumblefuck, Pennsylvania, and it came from Costa Rica, you know, and it was picked two weeks too early, and then right. you're getting that tomato so that it's bright red by the time it gets to you. And that's our right. fault because that's what we as consumers are demanding. Right. You know, well, we also we it's so much about people shop. They, like, I bet if you stood in a grocery store and asked people, how do you know what fruit is good? And and the and like, would you pick this? Would you pick a different tomato based on how you're going to use it? Because I do. Like, yeah, I'll take the super ripe tomato if I'm going to use it to make a sauce or if I'm going to put it in a salad. But if I want it to be sliceable for sandwiches, I'm going to look for a firm tomato. Right. But I'd be willing to bet that 90 percent of people don't give that any thought whatsoever because they're trained to look for color and feel. Yep. And that's all they're checking for. Well, everybody picks them up and they all tap them. They all smell them. They turn them upside down. They're getting their hands all over it. I mean, it's it's you know, everybody's an expert in that world. Everybody's. An yeah, expert I don't in think that so. World. I literally just grab the first thing that looks like it's uh, going to work for whatever I need it for. And then yeah. I throw it in. the bag. Well, like, and, and we also have too many choices. I mean, so here's here's something that it was kind of shocking to me. How many how many items do you think a BJ's has? Oh, God. Well, I know this only because Netta just went there and was like their goddamn menu has so many things. And the and the only stuff on there she likes is the pizza and the desserts. Well, but I'm not even talking about the, I'm not even talking about the market. I'm talking about the actual store itself. If you go to BJ's. Oh, you're talking about BJ's Wholesale Club? Yeah, you guys have, oh, okay. you guys have grocery stores. I thought you were talking about the pizza restaurant. <laughs> no, no, I'm talking about the Wholesale yeah. Club. No, uh, okay, so it's like a Sam's Club. I don't know, probably half a million SKUs. Okay, so your average grocery store has over 40,000 SKUs. Oh, okay. okay. I, was a little, I was a little over. No, that's okay. <laughs> BJ's, BJ's has about 4,000. Oh, wow. Because if you think about it, you're walking down the aisle and you're looking at two different types of ketchup. You're not looking at 16. Right. You know, and BJ's is telling you what to buy. Right. You know, but you know that BJ's has, they have their own sommeliers that purchase their wines for them and they are highly qualified sommeliers. I met a, I met a BJ's som when I was in Greece a couple of years ago and having conversations, they were, I mean, these, some of these vintners were literally like, they were tripping over themselves to get to the BJ's people and the Walmarts. Because yeah. they actually pick a high quality wine, but one of the reasons why it's so inexpensive is because they're buying it in more volume than anybody and, else. Than anybody else. Well, that's what people understand. I, I love this idea that Walmart gets terrible stuff because of uh, you know this stigma around Walmart. But I'll tell you, we went to the local grocery store Sprouts. Yep. Um, which is like a, a smaller Whole Foods, and we got ninety percent of our groceries there, all of our produce, all of our fruit, all of our protein. When we went to Walmart later to pick up like some bacon and some bottled drinks and stuff, and I walk by their bananas and I go, these look 10 times better. And yep. they're a third of the cost of what we just bought at the health food store. Yeah. Yeah. And it's because of the volume that they do. Well, and, and so I've, I've been to Bentonville, Arkansas. So Bentonville is where Walmart is. So that's where the Walton family live. They still have houses there. You know, there's actually, there's like a Four Seasons out there. There's a, there's a Capitol Grill. There's all these steak, all these places out there because it is a very, very salesman area because everybody wants to sell to Walmart. So right. 
the process itself of going of getting a product to Walmart is is unlike anything I've ever seen. It's very difficult. I'm telling you what, man, you pull up and there is a guard who says, who are you here to see? You tell the person what, who you're there to see. And he says, all right, you're going to park in, in section A because that's his section. You know, right. and then you go in, you have a computer, you have a computer process to log in. It takes a picture of you, prints it out. And then on that ticket, it tells you what time your interview is or what yeah. time you're, what time you can get into the kitchen. So that'll say, if your interview is at 10 o'clock, you can get into the kitchen at, at 916. Like it literally says that. And then you go in the back, you've got 40, you know, 44 minutes to bang out your product. And then a team of people walk into a room that's an enclosed room with glass in front of it. They sit down, you bring your product out, you show it to them. They taste it. They send off a buzzer to somebody. The head buyer walks in, sits down, conference, tastes, and makes their decision right then. I mean, it is amazing. Yeah. I mean, it's down to, it's down to a science. Yes. And the volume of what they do is just purely maniacal to think about the amount of products or SKUs that they have. So, well, it's funny too, because like we went there last night and I found one of my favorite things I've ever eaten is this, uh, this hot sauce that comes out of Mexico. It's called El Yucateco. They make like a green habanero sauce and like good Mexican restaurants will have it. I haven't found it in any grocery store in Southern (laughs) California. I've had to order it online on Amazon or something every time I wanted it. Walked into Walmart last night, full there. rack display of it. Nice. And it's just like, oh, that's why it's not in any other store because they're they're selling in Walmart and that's yep. all they need to do. And that's all they have to do. And, and you know what? And a lot of times Walmart does the exclusivity with it. I mean, they yeah, are just, very, very yeah, quick to do that. Yeah. 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 So so I mean, you know, your your background, you started as a comedian. I mean, this is why this is what you've been doing in LA for these years. You've got a podcast that you do. I mean, now with the travel of TV and all that, I mean, do you miss that other that other angle? Definitely. It's harder to do it because there's just not time. And the other thing is that, you know, like I mentioned, we're, we're in, uh, it's what, June 5th today, June 4th, no, June 5th. Yeah. So, uh, we know we already have four holiday episodes. We start shooting those July 24th, but if they don't pick up the other nine before the end of the year, we won't know that until the end of June. Yeah. So I literally don't know if I'm going to be busy after August or not. And the difference is I will have off till the rest of the year or I will be filming until December. And it's like because of that, it's so hard to get in front of it and to schedule out, um, you know, different uh, like different uh, gigs and dates, gigs, yeah, Yeah. tour dates, appearances, things like that. Because, you know, if I start booking those things out and it interrupts with uh, what makes a feasible filming schedule, then I'm going to have to cancel. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I mean, are you able to, and I don't know if you thought about this or not, maybe I'm a brilliant man, you know, finding out if you guys do get picked up and then being able to book dates while you're out there. I mean, is that something that that is feasible for you to do? Yeah, we've talked about that in the past, my agency and I, but you know, the other hard thing is like a great example. One of the restaurants, I won't name which one that we were at last uh, time, uh, had a not so savvy chef in the kitchen, and I and I'll tell you that story off the air. Oh but, shit! Uh, I know right where you're. But going. I ended up eating raw bacon inside of a deep fried dish, and then uh, and then like got super sick later that day. So again, the, there's these unforeseen things that can arise. Where uh, also too, I don't know that I have any food allergies, but imagine I go to a restaurant, I got a gig booked later that night, 
I come out of the restaurant at two o'clock when I'm done and find out, oh no, I'm allergic to this kind of fish. <laughs> and then there's You're no fine. show. So. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, so it is one of those things of like, it, it's still, we're still uncovering enough new stuff on the road that I'm not completely confident committing to that, that level of schedule of let me, you know, let me go out and do stand up in a club at, you know, until two in the morning and then come back and get up to go film at six. Right. So, right. And how many, how many shows are you guys doing? I mean, how many places are you doing in a day? We'll do one a day. Okay. Uh, but we're doing the full 12 hours. So we do it like Guy Fieri's crew does. Um, he'll do two a day, but that's because all of the B-roll and everything else that gets filmed is done on a separate day when he's not there. Got it. So it's, it would be literally like if we just filmed my stuff in one restaurant and then, and then moved over and there was a whole other crew ready in the other restaurant to film there as well. So they run two crews. Wow. And, um, and so they can kind of bang it out a little bit faster. But his budget is about double what ours is per episode. Right. So you can kind of do stuff like that when, uh, you know, when you get to that level. And what's, I mean, what is the criteria? What is it? What, what is the criteria for you guys? I mean, you know, if I want to be on the show, what's the criteria? Uh, you, we just want a ginormous, creative, uh, cohesive dish. So we don't ever want like a plate of 100 oysters, something like that. Because, right. you know, that's that's in the realm of uh, food, you know, of like a man versus food or something like that. But it's just got to be a big, cohesive dish. And then they really just want a restaurant that's either new to the area that's really well reviewed or something that has been around for a long time that's really well reviewed. We start with places that have great feedback on their food regardless of how old or how new they are. And if they don't already make a ginormous dish, we go, well, you got five days, come up with something. Um, okay. We'd rather do that than go to the place that already makes the 20 pound cheeseburger and has a C on the door and has been around for 30 years and has never really p- legitimately passed the health inspection without right. slipping somebody's money. You know what I mean? Everybody's got an envelope. <laughs> um, what? Uh, so, so, and that actually was one of my next questions. So it doesn't matter if it's something that's already been on the menu. You guys are saying, Hey, look, we're interested in your food. We want to see if you guys can do something. And I mean, yeah. do you have, have you guys had people that are like, eh, now I'm good. I don't want to do that. I don't know if we do, I don't hear about it. So yeah, none of that true. ever gets to me. Yeah. yeah. They have a whole other thing like that, but we are surprised that um, we haven't actually shown up and walked people through what that looks like. And we haven't had anybody bail yet. I mean, our camera guys are like, to do 60 restaurants and to not show up on the day of and have an owner be so stressed to the point where they just say, I'm not doing it is pretty awesome that that has not happened yet yeah. because it's highly likely the restaurant industry, as you well know, is stressful enough as it is. Yeah. And there are a lot of people that don't have it together to the point where by the time you get there, that it could be the straw that breaks the camel's back for them that week. And they could just decide I'm, I'm not doing it. I can't do it. Yeah. Now, I mean, are, are you, when are you guys going in? I mean, it's not like you guys are rolling in on a Friday, are you? Uh, sometimes, yeah. I mean, we, we, the schedule, go, we go out. Like, if we leave on a Monday, we start filming on Tuesday. So whatever, however the schedule works out, that's, that's when we're filming. Huh. We've had times where we're filming at a, at a busy bar on a Saturday night. And so they're dealing with weekend dinner rush and us in there filming. And we try to flip the schedule around to where we're as, as non-invasive as possible. But it's inevitable, man. It's the restaurant business. And the reality is anytime we've had it go too easy, it's because we probably picked the wrong restaurant. There's just no traffic and it's for a reason. Right so. now. And then, so what production, what production company is this? Lucid media. Where are they out of? They out Boston? Of Knoxville and DC. Oh, okay. Dude, I love Knoxville, man. Ah, oh, fuck. I love Knoxville. I did. A, I did a couple of shows down there. Have you ever heard of the, the, uh, the, uh, uh, Blackberry farm? Yeah. 
one of the top five small hotels in the world. It's pretty awesome, man. It's yeah. pretty awesome. It's, it's amazing. It's an amazing place. Um, yeah, we were going to do Knoxville this season, but it somehow it got nixed somehow. Knoxville's a great little town. A lot of fun stuff over there. A lot of fun stuff over there. So I actually think it got nixed because the Nashville episode didn't do very well. But Nashville ran against the presidential inauguration, which is why it didn't rate. And right. so I think that's why they nixed Knoxville, because Nashville didn't rate. But Nashville sort of had an anomaly night in terms of airing. Right. Are you uh, getting back to Philly at all? Yeah, I was going to come back in June. And now it looks like we're going to be filming at the end of July in New York. And then we'll have a couple weeks off and then we'll be going somewhere else on the East Coast. So more than likely that I will just be staying in Philly for the two weeks that I'm home. And then I got my buddy who you saw in the background is getting married in September. So I'll be back out for that too. Oh, cool, man. Good dude. Good. All right, brother. I think I've stolen up enough of your time. All right, man. I think I did. I took it all. So, um, Josh, thanks so much for everything. I really appreciate it. Yeah, and, dude, uh, thanks hopefully, hopefully when you get back, uh, back East, we can head out and, and we'll go and do some of our own food. I'd love to have you come into my place and we'll, uh, we'll give you some good cheesesteaks and shit. Dude, you kill me on on Instagram and stuff when I see all the food. Like you'll be in your kitchen making amazing stuff. You made a beer battered fish sandwich that I was like ready to jump on a plane and come out and get. Uh, it was like you guys open. Herb tartar sauce, preserved lemons, and we do salt yeah. and herb roasted tomatoes on the base of it. Yeah, that's a that's one of our that's one of my my loves. I love that sandwich. Dude, I love a beer battered fish. I just so did an I. episode of Bobby Flay recently. And uh Did you and- judge? Yeah, I was uh, co-hosting. Ah, that's awesome, dude. I do. I, I judge up there all the time. Uh, I mean, a, a bunch of times I've judged up there. They're good people. Yeah, it's, it's a blast, dude. But he had to, uh, you know, he always has to kind of come up with a dish on his feet. And he did a beer-battered cod sandwich. And I was like, this motherfucker is here for a reason. Like, <laughs> exactly. He was up against the chef. And I knew the chef he was up against. And I was like, he has no chance. This dude's been making fucking crab cakes in Baltimore his entire life. Like there's no way Bobby's going to beat this guy in a seafood sandwich competition. And he sure enough, man, Bob, Bobby has so many tricks up his sleeve. Yeah, He's good, dude. He's like deep frying coleslaw. I was like, I didn't know you could do that. (laughs) Dude, he's good. He's, uh, you know I mean? And, and he doesn't, he doesn't fuck around. I mean, and, and that's a serious show, man. They bang him out. Oh yeah. They do two a day. Yeah, I mean, it's it's insanity. And, you know, it's funny because like when you're when you're co-hosting or judging, you get to taste food. And I tasted food from the two chefs in the beginning round. And I was just like, wow, man, both of these guys are way better chefs than this. But you got to stop and think like, dude, even if it's a dish you've made a thousand times, the pressure of doing that in a warehouse with 30 cameras around you and a exactly. live audience. Yeah, you, you know, I, I wouldn't be shocked if. Wolfgang Puck couldn't crack a fucking egg open in that environment. <laughs> it's crazy. I mean, and it's, and it's different world. super high energy. There's cameras everywhere. There's lights going off the whole time. There's smoke machines. And there's literally people standing over top of you watching you do this. And yeah. then you got to do it on camera as well. Yeah. And then, I, you know, it's funny, like the, as the host, they had to like go over there and see what chef's working on. And you go over there and like, hey, man, how are these crab cakes coming along? And he just looks at you like. Get the fuck away from me. (laughs) I I cannot focus like it's and it's competitive. And these guys are competitive. I mean, they're basically putting themselves up against an all time great. And to be honest, it's really the only world where you can do a competition like that. Like you can't let some high school kid play football against fucking, you know, 
Ray Lewis right. will get murdered. Yeah. You can't have some, you know, and you're, not, you're never going to have like uh, an am. It's sort of like pros versus Joes, that show they had before. And the Joes almost always got the shit kicked out of them. Oh, they were the best. You, know uh, you know, my brother created that one. I didn't know that. Yeah, no, that, that was Tim. That was Tim. My favorite. Yeah, it was one of my favorite shows all time. He talks. He, he, he talks about fucking one of the one of the old football players and this kid, this 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 young like Asian kid, like twenty two, a buck fifteen, was just talking shit the whole time. <laughs> and it was he was like an old raider. I can't even remember the guy's name. And he just, uh, my brother was taking cat was taking video on his camera. And he's got this thing where this little kid like goes full fledged flat flying directly across the air. And, and the, and the pro just grabbed him by his shoulder pads and like swung him around. Like he was a hammer throw and just <laughs> let him loose. And the kid flew like 15 feet in the air and That's just hilarious. bounced off the ground. Yeah. That was, that was, that was a, uh, those were, those were funny shows that they used to do. But, but I mean, you know, this is the kind of one place where you can go up the one of the greatest of all time and, yes. and have just as good of a chance. And you know what? He's I mean, he's he's a good dude. Look, I've, I've oh, yeah. done it. I mean, the first the second time I was on the show that I judged, I don't know what it was made. I can't remember what it was, but I remember looking at it. It was gnocchi. And I remember looking at it and I looked up and I said, this is completely amateurish. I was yeah. like, this is. This is like a culinary student first starting out and he was, it was Bobby's dish. And I, I yeah. remember getting in the car afterwards and I remember talking to my agent. She's like, Oh, how'd everything go? I'm like, it's, you know, it's such a fast, you know, as a judge, you're only there for six minutes. You yeah. know, your airtime is, is 45 seconds. I said, yeah, I called Bobby Flay an amateur. I highly doubt I'm coming back. And then like, <laughs> you know, four weeks later, whatever, I get a call. Hey, will you come back up? We want to do another one. And he walked up to me. He's like, hey, dude, he's like, I, you know, he, he, he said something about Bar Rescue, which was kind of cool. And then he's like, he's like, I love when you're on. He's like, because you're totally honest. He's like, yeah. you're, you know, your, your, your criticisms are so on point. Um, so it was cool. You know, I mean, it's a good thing to know that I didn't, you know, piss off the guy who is originally or in reality, the fucking king. If you think about the yeah. shows that he's done, you're talking about. Do you remember grilling and chilling with Jack McDavid? Yeah. I mean that. That's you know Jack McDavid's a a a, a hick who now uh, you know resides in Philly, and then after that he did Throwdown with Bobby Flay. I mean this guy's literally been challenged for what fifteen years. Yeah, and he's one of the only few Iron Chefs. I mean for yes. a reason. Him and Morimoto and Michael Simon and now Stephanie Izard. Spoiler alert: anybody who didn't watch Gauntlet, but <laughs> um, but yeah, she, you know. So I mean, the dude like like I said for. For us to throw the challenge at him that we did, and you know, I, I don't want to say too much and spoil it, but for us to throw at him what we did, and for him to just make it look easy, it was yeah. mind blowing. And not only did he pull it off, but he pulled it off in such a spectacular fashion where, you know, you were just like, "Damn, dude! Like this is insanity that a guy could go from concept to finished product and have it come out like he's done it a million times before." I feel like we've changed the show from beat Bobby Flay to blow Bobby Flay right now. <laughs> I feel like all we're doing is like blowing him up. Uh, uh, yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, but you know, Hey, there's a reason, you know, there, there's a lot of shit talk that happens in the culinary television industry of like, who deserves this? Who deserves that? I'm sure in many cases, I'm in the butt end of people going like, this guy doesn't know shit about food. He doesn't deserve a show. Right. But, um, but that's, but, something, that's, know, that's it, something that's different about you. Cause you yeah, actually but, do I mean, know I, food. But, 
I make no bones about that. Like, and I, and I, I'm coming at food from the perspective of a guy that, um, that is truly a, a fan and truly into it and interested in it. And as I learn more and more, it's very difficult not to infuse the knowledge you've picked up into the show because then it would change the show. It is. So yeah. I have to try to, you know, challenge myself now as I get more accustomed to process and technique to still have that, that fresh faced eye on things and just say like, you know, what, what is, uh, what, it, what makes a pastrami a pastrami, yeah. you know, and simple questions like that, because I think that's why people like the show. Yeah. No, I agree. I, I totally agree. Cause you can add, you're absolutely right. You can change the dynamic of the show by adding in too much technical shit. People just want to see a big know. fat bagel with 14 pounds of fucking locks on it. <laughs> you know, that's what they want to see. They don't, right. they don't want to know. They don't want to know what locks is or how it got to become a locks. They just want to know right. that it's fucking salmon on a, on a bagel with 47 pounds. Yeah. Of cream and how's it taste? Like that's, yeah. that's really all they care about. Well, and, and how is that? We're, we're, it's like, we have two different shows here. We all of a sudden got a second wind. I mean, how is that for you? I mean, are you eating stuff that you don't like? I mean, have you, have you done no, that? Luckily it, well, with the exception of the place where I got raw bacon this past block. Uh, no, I haven't had. I haven't had a single place where I'm like, no, I and people have even got me to eat stuff like mussels that I never eat and made me love it, you know, just by the nature of trying it. What are they doing? I mean, has has this show aired yet? Mussels? I haven't seen it. Yeah, it was the the very first episode of the, it was the series premiere. Okay. So, and I didn't see that one. So, I mean, let me ask you, how are they doing that as a ginormous food? Is it 15 pounds of mussels in a bowl? No, no, no. The mussels weren't the ginormous dish. They had a big burger as their ginormous dish, but the mussels were featured in the same act. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So we usually feature a regular dish to kind of show their, their menu off a little bit. And then we get into their ginormous thing. Got it. Got it. All right, brother. I'm going to let us go. All right, man. Sounds good. Dude, I appreciate your time. I know you're uh, busy. I'm glad you're home for uh, the next couple of days. So how, how do we get everybody to uh, find you, follow you, and, uh, and, and talk about you? Well, they can find me at Josh Denny on uh, Twitter, Instagram, uh, Josh Denny Official on Facebook. And then uh, you can, if you want any information on the show or you want to watch the show, just go to foodnetwork.com slash ginormous food. We are in, uh, you can watch us in United States, Canada, Australia. And then I just found out in July we're premiering on Food Network UK. Oh, that's so, awesome! So, um, so we're we're already global with this thing, which is pretty exciting. And that's so, cool, hopefully, man. we get to do it for a while. That's cool, dude. Dude, I'm so stoked for you. I love your success. I love, um, you know, kind of following you and catching up what's going on, and and every now and then, hopefully, trying to get out to LA and sitting down and chatting with you. So, yeah, and always breaking bread, man. I'm always down to debt. We missed each other in Vegas. I know that was I a know. fuck, dude. I didn't stop. Yeah, I didn't yeah, see the know. show. It was funny because you guys, you guys hit me up and were like, uh, yeah, man, we're out. Come out. And I watched your Instagram story and Nikki's Instagram story. And I was like, I ain't going out in that shit at all. I got a call time in the morning. I was like, these guys are having way too much fun for me at 1130 at night. I'm going to tell you what, man. It was an epic, epic trip. And, and you know what? It, and it had nothing to do with crazy nightclubs. Um, it had nothing to do with really anything else other than. I think it was four really good people just out having a shit ton of fun. And and yes, yeah. that night that we w- t- talked to you, we were on our way to Double Down, which is one of the top 20 dive bars in the country. And it was yeah. a full-fledged shit show. 
I mean, I'm <laughs> talking about there was a woman then. given a blowjob behind the DJ on stage. Nice. That, that sounds like the off the strip joint in Vegas. It was. It's just a quality, quality spot. And then the <laughs> next night we were all really smart. And Kayla Robeson, who's an amazing woman, uh, her nick her name is Commander and Beef on Instagram. Oh yeah, she, I remember her. Yeah, she was in your all in the shenanigans. Yeah, she had never been to Vegas before. So it was like the next the, the one of the last nights was let's drink a can of beer on the strip while watching Bellagio show. You know, let's go, yeah. let's go to the Vegas sign and it was it was a great trip, and uh, uh, we're gonna try to top it off next year again and see what we can do. But you got to come into Vegas for that stuff, man. I'd love to. Well, I gotta, I gotta like. Well, hopefully by this time next year, I can get invited to those things. I was gonna show up, and then I was like, "Shit, man, a ticket to that thing no, was like six hundred bucks for the week." You, you, I'm on the board, and I do my next, own section. So. Yeah, I was gonna say next next year I'll come host a, a thing or something. And Dude, actually, I, we should totally do that. We should get you to yeah. come in and do so. I do a whole thing called the Food and Beverage Innovation Center. You know what could be kind of fun is getting you up. Maybe we'll get you up on stage and do something fun. Oh, yeah. It'd be a blast. And I I'd, might actually know how to cook some shit by then. Yeah, man. <laughs> and you know, I mean, maybe we'll get you. Yeah, we'll get you up. Well, you know, you can always, if you have a question, just call me. Of course. Yeah, okay. I, just, yeah. I mean, I want to make sure people are like, oh, I don't want to cross the line. And I'm like, fuck oh, the no, line. No, I absolutely would. But it's pretty, I usually try to stick with, uh, like, I'll ask people based on what I'm working with. Like, if I have steak questions, you're the first person I'll call. Yeah. If I have fish questions, I call my guy uh, in, in um, Atlanta who has a Cajun place. So if I'm working with, like, Cajun stuff and I'm like, how do I do, like, uh, a jambalaya or whatever, I'll hit him up. So I try yeah. to hit up the people. Like that, that I know, know how to do the shit I'm trying to do. That's funny. Did you ever hit up Nikki? Uh, not yet, because the last time I had his food, uh, it was all stuff. I did hit him up when we were there. I like, I tried to reverse engineer the sauce on his grandma's meatballs that he serves there. <laughs> and he was like, he, I got pretty close. He was like, oh damn dude. He's like the sauce recipe you grew up with is like two ingredients away from what I use. So, you know, that's one of the things that's fun, too, is like I'm, I'm actually getting a trained palate now to where I can taste food and know what's in it and not just be like, mm, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Mm, that's great texture. Great texture. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Nick, you guys say that he'll talk about texture and and he'll and I try to get away from words like texture and, and he'll use smokiness or. Yeah, you get the and, and he'll just describe like what's in it. Instead of describing how it tastes, like he'll just go, I like the salt from the, like from the pork. I like the vinegar from the mustard. Right. It's like, we all know mustard has vinegar in it, man. Tell me how it's different. Like, yeah, that's so, a good observation. Know, you, I like that. Yeah. But I mean, but those things are good. And, and I, that's, so that's kind of what I try to think of. And again, it's like, as you learn more and you get a more refined palate, like you can't really explain, like if you explain the difference between smoked paprika and cayenne, 90% of the viewers aren't going to get that. Right. But you have to describe how it changes the dish. Yeah. And that's really where I think the pro guys uh, at food show hosting do a great job of being able to translate that technique and that process into uh, layman's terms so that people can go, oh, that's the, that's it's got the kind of mustard that I'll like. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. You're absolutely right. It's uh, it's kind of funny to watch that stuff, especially when he goes on, because, you know, if you watch enough of them and I've had my lazy Sundays, you know, I've had my lazy Sundays where I'm watching, you know, triple Dude, day. Leading. I, I've probably watched 100 episodes in the past month because but, it's it is with our show. Yeah, it, it, it absolutely does. But you're you're 100 percent right where you sit there. And if you watch enough of them, you do. You hear the same critiques 
over and over again. Yeah, the saltiness from the tomato when you're putting it on there. And, you know, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that he comes out with. That you're absolutely right. You're right, man. So, yeah, and it's and it's tough. It's a very difficult thing to um, stay fresh with, for lack of a better term, no pun intended. But it's very hard to, to make sure you're not consistently saying the same things over again. I watched one episode of our show where I said the word delicious like 15 times. In, in under a minute. And it was because we were doing a dessert and I had never done a dessert on the show before. I had never talked about desserts. Right. So the reason I kept going to crutches like delicious and tasty and good were because I hadn't walked through how to define sweet without making it sound negative. Right. And it's something like working with your culinary producer and just having experience with you get over time. Yeah. Yeah, I find I do a lot. I use awesome a lot. I end up kind of utilizing the same words when I do that stuff. You know, I mean, and and most I'm not doing I'm not doing a whole long show. Most of my stuff is quick anymore where it's just judging. Right. But I did. I was having a conversation with somebody a couple. I was, actually it was Ivy Stark. She's an L.A. girl. Um, OK. Dos, uh, dos Cominos, I think I can't remember her place. But I, I when I, I met her when I was in Bobby Flame, we were having that conversation about, you know, like a quick, quick judging stuff. So. Right. But. Um, well, all right, brother. All right, man. I appreciate your time again, seriously. And, uh, I'm supposed to be out there. I'm going to be in uh, Newport beach in a couple, I think in August. What's that? Like 45 minutes from you guys an hour. Yeah. About that. All right. I'm going to try to get into LA and spend a couple of days down there. So I'll definitely let you know, man. Yeah. Be good. Keep me posted. All right. Hey, what's your podcast? Oh, March of the pigs, March of the pigs. So everybody check him out. It's uh, at Josh Denny on Instagram and Twitter. March of the pigs is his podcast. And the official Josh Denny, right, on Facebook? Josh Denny official, yeah. Josh Denny official. There you go. All right, brother. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Brian. Uh, Be safe, and I will talk to you soon, man. All right. Sounds good, buddy. I told you he was a good egg, and I told you he was fun. The funny part about that is the fact that uh, uh, we tried to end the show three times, um, and that's kind of a typical conversation with Josh. You know, you sit down with him. You have great conversations, and, and they just continue going on and on and on. So, uh, that's why I'm a big fan of Josh's, and I hope you guys uh, enjoyed that. I uh, I loved listening or loved watching him uh, do his stuff on John Armour's food, you know, especially when you have a conversation with a guy on a personal level, and then you go out to that TV world and you get to see that dynamic of what it is that they do. And um, Josh, you got a real good dynamic with that, and I really appreciate your time. Um, you know, an hour and fifteen minutes chatting with me, uh, uh, you know, while you're getting ready to make dinner for you and your girl. So I appreciate that very much. Um, everybody do me a favor. Make sure you totally hop over and follow Josh. He is at Josh Denny on Instagram and Twitter, and he is Josh Denny official on Facebook. Uh, you can also check him out at John Amherst Foods that airs uh, on the Food Network, and they are just finishing up season number two. Uh, they're doing some holiday episodes right now, but definitely get out there and check it out. And, and hop over to YouTube and check out some of Josh's uh, comedy stuff that he does. He's a funny dude, man. He's a really, really funny guy. So definitely hop over there and check him out. Uh, Josh, thanks again, man. Totally appreciate it. And uh, we're ready to rock and roll. So uh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to close this out in just a couple of minutes uh, or just a couple seconds here. Um, So we're going to do our full close uh, right here. This is what I got. We're going to start talking uh, about all these wonderful people that I get to work with. So I want to talk about radioinfluence.com. They produce this show. They do a great job. I want to talk about Michelle out there at Techno Solution for all my website stuff. Cannot ever forget Miss the the, uh, the amazing Maggie Gagliardi who does all of our illustrations across the board. Um, I really love having them on. So um, thank you guys all so much. Definitely don't forget my con- my consulting firm of uh, DEG or Duffified Experience Group. 
Uh, we are redefining the economics of food service by bringing it in in a whole different level, talking about not just the financial, but also about the educational and the spiritual side of what it is that we do. Uh, it, it is about exceeding the expectations for your guests, and it's about having fun when these people walk in and kind of being released from the regular world. And, and we're taking them to another level, another experience through our ambiance, through our food, through our booze, and through our service. So make sure that you guys follow that stuff, and I uh, hope you all do it. I hope you all rock and roll with it. And if you need anything, you know where to reach me. I am Chef Brian Duffy. You can find me at Chef Brideoff on Instagram and Twitter, Chef Brian Duffy on Facebook, and you can always check out my website, which is Duffified.com, to get some fun stuff, or ChefBrianDuffy.com. Also, come in and check us out at the Flying Fish Craft House at 1363 North 31st Street in Philadelphia. Big, huge 8,000-square-foot space, focusing on the amazing beers from the Flying Fish Brewery. Also, checking out some of our food with a super casual awesome beer garden menu that involves pretzels and great wings and burgers and all the good stuff hope to see you guys very very soon i thank you so much for all your fun and i appreciate your time and listening to me talk and bullshit through this crazy little world that we live in love you guys didn't get duffified enough follow chef brian duffy on facebook and on twitter at chef b-r-i-d-u-f-f Look for the blue verified check mark to get exclusive content and to see what's coming up on next week's show. This has been Duffified Live with Chef Brian Duffy on Radio Influence. I'm Jerry Petuck, CEO of Radio Influence. I just wanted to take a quick moment to say thank you for downloading and subscribing to this podcast. There are a lot of people behind the scenes here at Radio Influence that work hard to keep you entertained day in and day out. If you'd like to get involved and advertise on this program, or you have some show ideas that you'd like to see us add to the Radio Influence family, please email us at contact at radioinfluence.com. We all have crazy schedules, so the fact that you took time out of your busy day to let us entertain you for a while means a lot. Without you, the listeners, we wouldn't exist. So thank you again for downloading and subscribing to this show. Don't forget to check out radioinfluence.com to see what other shows we also have to offer. All of Radio Influence's programming can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Play, and of course, RadioInfluence.com. <laughs>